Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All on the drive, got hit, and banks it in! Wizardry from CP3. SGA spins free, nice move, and what a finish inside. Last night it was the NBA suspending its season after Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus. This hiatus will be at least 30 days. Like, I want to hoop, you know what I mean? I think that's the biggest consensus from guys. Like, we miss playing. The NBA does not want their players to shut up and dribble. One of the ways that they were trying to spread the message was putting social justice messages on the jerseys. The NBA Board of Governors has approved a 22-team restart in Orlando, Florida at Disney World. Welcome to the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Sekou Smith, here in Atlanta. We are finding our way to the NBA restart in Orlando, July 30th. 22 teams in the bubble Today we're talking Oklahoma City Thunder with longtime Thunder writer Eric Horn of The Athletic. Eric, I appreciate you coming on and, and helping us dive in a little bit on a Thunder team that I think has really been one of the, the most surprising teams of the first part of this NBA season and certainly of the restart, but also one of the, the teams to me that's kind of gone under the radar in terms of a team that could be a real problem for somebody in the Western Conference. Now, the Thunder are, are certainly in a position to move up with the eight seeding games on tap. Where do they fit to you in terms of the power structure of the teams in the West right now? First of all, thanks for having me, Sikwe, man. Always great to, to get back with you, man. Uh, but uh, the Thunder's in an interesting position. Like you said, they're in position to move up. But when the league shut down on the 11th, they were getting ready to play the Jazz for a chance to be the four seed. If they beat the Jazz, they would have jumped them and gotten into the four seed and had home court advantage. This was a team that has been incredible on the road, basically since the you know the turn of the year. They've been a just a great road team. This is a team that's fearless, man. You know, Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Shea Gildas Alexander, Dennis Schroeder, these are guys who don't back down. So you've got a lot of players with a lot of experience that I think we're ready to, to really close out the season strong. It'll be interesting to see how they pick up, but I think you've got one of the more confident teams in the league coming back to the restart because of all the experience and all of the, the ways that they were able to win games on the road and kind of show how mentally tough they are. That bodes well for them going back into the restart. Eric, you've, you've been around so many different iterations of this Thunder team, you know, with different leadership structures in terms of the locker room from, from Katie and Russ 
to Russ and Paul George. How huge was CP3 being inserted into that locker room and, and just kind of putting his own spin on the leadership for the Thunder? I think it's been massive, Seiko. And, you know, you've been in the league longer than I have and have so much experience to where you know the kind of personality that Chris is. Like, he, he can just take over a locker room in a way that, you know, some people can actually find abrasive. We saw that in kind of the fallout in Houston. And before I even got to understand Chris and be around him every day, I had a lot of people coming to me, you know, on the road and asking, how's Chris? But they would ask it in a tone that was almost kind of like, Chris is going to be a problem. Yeah, exactly. Because they had dealt with Chris prior. And Chris, over time, I think, had become kind of an abrasive figure with the media in some aspects. I think the media kind of looked at him as, this is a guy who is very agenda-driven, uh, wants to control the narrative. And he's been anything but that in Oklahoma City, I think. Um, and maybe he's giving me the okey-doke and I'm falling for <laughs> it. But I think the dude has been a really good leader when, and this is important, that he didn't necessarily have to be. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who's got guaranteed money no matter what. Everybody talks about the contract, which is huge, which was a big reason why he couldn't be moved. but he could have pouted and just and just sulked through this entire process. Instead, he's taking Shea Gilgis-Alexander under his wing. Those guys are legitimate friends. Those guys are two guys who love basketball. And, you know, Shea even talks like him now. He was on the conference call a couple weeks ago talking about, I, I'm just a hooper. I want to hoop. Chris says that all the time, man. So it's like he's really done a great job of bringing all these different characters together. And it's not that Paul George and Russell Westbrook were bad leaders. They were different leaders. And I think that with this particular group, I think Chris has maximized everybody's strengths better than ball-dominant guys like Russell and Paul did when they were here. So I think he's been really refreshing um, for the Thunder and for some of the players that were left over from the previous version of this team. Yeah, it's such a, an interesting group to dive into when you think about what was expected of this team and what they've become and, and what they turned into. I look at the, not only the dynamic in terms of leadership from Chris and what Billy Donovan is dealing with now that he didn't, you know, when he, when he arrived in Oklahoma city, but the, the structure of the roster, the makeup of the team and the balance from the bench, this is something that's really strange to me about this Thunder team, Eric, is that for so long, we, the, the conversation was about the supporting cast and did you have the right pieces around your stars to be successful? Now you look at them and they've got a bench that actually produces at a really high level and fits really well around that, that starting group. How did that take shape? Was it, I mean, was it more happenstance or was this more Sam Presti and his crew kind of digging in and figuring out the right pieces to fit? You got a combination of both there, Sinker. Like, I think you got... First of all, you just get a better version of Dennis Schroeder, and that's helped everything. He's kind of one of those personalities, too, that can rub people the wrong way a little bit sometimes. Um, Dennis is bought in completely. From the beginning of the season, what was interesting to watch with him was, you know from Atlanta, his defense can kind of be in and out. When he first got to Atlanta, he was really locked in and he was strong. And then as he got more responsibility, his defense kind of tapered off, and he hasn't been the defender that he was earlier in his career. He's back to that now. Even in the beginning of the season when he wasn't shooting well, he was coming off of the bench 
and he was really committed defensively. And I saw that earlier in the season, and I was like, well, if he can just start hitting a couple of shots, like he's got a chance to really have a good year because you could tell he was really taking a personal responsibility defensively because I think no Paul George, no Andre Robertson, the Thunder's kind of looking around for perimeter defenders, guys who can step up and guard guys in late-game situations. And that ended up being Schroeder in some instances because, you know, Terrence Ferguson got off to a rough start and Schroeder and Chris Paul kind of took that on themselves to say, look, we're undersized, but we're going to guard some of these bigger wings. It's hurt them in some instances uh, going up against teams like the Clippers where they just have all kinds of wing strength than Kawhi and Paul George. But I think the big thing about the bench has been Dennis has just been unbelievable this year. Uh, He should win six man of the year. Closing lineups have been talked about a ton. He's the guy who comes off the bench and and really makes them one of the toughest teams to beat in the league late in games. And then you throw Nerlens Noel into that too, and he's been a great weak side shot blocker, a guy you can use in switches to defend a couple of different positions. He's not going to be completely lost out there in isolation. You know, some of it's luck. Some of it's just you know good preparation by the Thunder in evaluating a guy like Lucas Dort in the draft process getting him to sign as a free agent to a two-way deal and then watching him grow and mature into a guy that can eventually come into the starting lineup. He's played more minutes as a two-way than any player in the league. He started 21 straight games and the Thunders, I think 16 and five in those games. He's got a lot to learn. He still fouls a ton, but he's not afraid to be aggressive defensively and, and, and make mistakes and be aggressive on offense. So that's another guy that's kind of strengthened their bench because that's basically a guy that's a starter that came from nothing. So that doesn't sap your bench depth when you're trying to pull from the bench uh, to bring in a guy into the starting lineup. That's made it easier for them to accept that Terrence Ferguson and Hamadou Diallo have kind of had some bumps in their development because Lou Dort has been so good at a rookie at 20 years old. So really, they're better defensively for a lot of different reasons. Schroeder's just a better player, more locked in. Nerlens Noel is all the way committed and has always been athletic and versatile. And then Lou Dort has just been basically the revelation of the season as a 20-year-old who didn't even get drafted. They've had a lot of things go right to make their bench stronger than it has been in previous seasons. And Dort is one of those players, great point about just things go right. They, For whatever reason, with Sam Presti, they seem to all, you know, always go in his direction is pretty remarkable. Except the Harden train. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give Sam a break on, on the Other than that. Other than the Harden train. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Shake Gillis Alexander has been one of those players that you watch and just see him evolve into some so much more than what his profile suggested he might be going into the draft a few years ago. You know, to score the way he is, to blend in terms of a three-guard lineup finishing games with he and CP and Schroeder sometimes. Is he ready for what comes now in terms of the postseason and being that kind of player that you lean on in that crucible and when, when, when those lights are on? That's a really good question because I think that that question is really going to be the center of the Thunder's future because Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder aren't going to be here forever. And those are the guys that have kind of taken a lot of the burden in those late-game situations off of Shea Gilgis-Alexander offensively and defensively. 
And Shea's, Shea's numbers are phenomenal in those late-game situations. And a big part of that is because, one, he's a really good player, but also because he's playing alongside those guys. He's playing alongside Chris Paul, who has the ball in his hands. His usage goes up in late-game situations. So right now, is he ready? I think he's ready to be a part of a winning team in the playoffs. That That is for certain. Now, if we're talking about him being a number one, being a guy that has the ball on the last possession of a game or a guy that's going to be the guy who says, I got him. I'm locking up Kawhi on this possession. He needs more strength. I think he's probably closer, frankly, offensively than being a defensive number one from the standpoint that he's good at drawing fouls. He's slippery enough to where he can get to the rim. He's got a great floater, but he's not a guy with a quick trigger from three. That's going to be able to just hit a snap three on you off the dribble. He's got a pretty good pull-up game from mid-range. But defensively, he's still kind of guarding the weak side on possessions because they have Schroeder or they have Dort or they have Chris Paul kind of taking those guys in late-game situations like Paul George. And that might not ever be Shea's role. He might be a guy who's going to be kind of off-ball more so than the guy that's guarding the primary guy late in games. But Shea has all the components of a guy who I think is going to be a part of championship teams because he can fit any mold. Like you said, he can he can play in the three guard. He can be the lead guard. He can be off the ball. He's just so versatile. And at that size and to have that control and understanding of the game and not pressing, he, he's so smooth for 21 and he doesn't press. I think that he's going to be an important part of their future. The big question is, like, how high is that ceiling? Like, is yeah. he a one or is he just going to be kind of that complimentary guy for the rest of his career? Tremendous, versatile young player who I think uh, when you're talking about the future of the league is one of those players who has an opportunity to really push whatever his feeling is. I think it goes without saying, Eric, that everybody understands not only the leadership role Chris Paul plays on on this Thunder team, but as the president of the Players Association and, and the guy who's face and voice has been intertwined with so much of what's going on, you know, off the court for the league and for the players in the league. His ability to compartmentalize those responsibilities in Orlando will be huge, I'm sure. Um, But what do you think that off-court component will be for him, given the fact that everybody's going to be there? You know, we're going to have this unprecedented environment where all the teams, all the players are all in one space. And there's a social justice movement that has to be addressed. Once Chris and those guys get into the bubble, I think his his focus is going to shift. Maybe he's going to have to juggle some things because of the kind of social ramifications of what we're going into with the Black Lives Matter movement going on right now. Um, you know, Chris is creating a documentary that I wrote about that he's working with Antoine Fuqua. He's working to create a documentary about what's going on right now. More than ever, these athletes are juggling multiple balls at one time. But I think Chris prioritizes basketball first and foremost. I think that once they get inside the bubble, I think there's going to be a shift. I know that these guys are going to take the time to to, to make statements and make sure that their voices are being heard. But at the same time, like, Chris is a competitor, man. And And I think you can compete and make a statement at the same time and be a voice for change and social justice. And I think that can be 
kind of a, a thing that's all together. And I think Austin Rivers kind of touched on that when when this this stuff started first popping off. Like we can we can play and still be advocates for social justice. And that's that's really important. I think that that's important for these guys to have this opportunity because we sure know they're going to have a lot of time to sit around and think about all the things they can do. <laughs> no question. It's not like they're going to be running around in the streets, man. They're going to, they're going to be locked down. So they're going to have plenty of time to figure out how to best use their time. And I think that Chris is going to be one of those guys for sure because his time is as valuable as anybody in the league. It was funny, uh, on a conference call a couple of days ago, Danilo Gallinari got on. Somebody asked him about Chris, and he said that Chris is so busy that sometimes he has a hard time getting in touch with him if he's his teammate <laughs> because Chris is always on the phone and stuff. So it's obvious, man. He's he's really important to you know what the players' union wants to express, but he's also really important to the Thunder and their chances of getting out of the first round. No question, D. Talking Oklahoma City Thunder here on the Hang Time Podcast, we, we've kind of been talking nuts and bolts and, and certainly some serious topics. When we come back after the break, Eric, we're going to dive into some keys to navigating the Magic Kingdom for the Thunder in Orlando. Now that we've got the business portion of the show out of the way, Eric, let's have some fun with with this Thunder team and and what they're going to deal with in what is an unprecedented situation uh, in the bubble in Orlando. we got to have some keys to the Magic Kingdom. If we're looking at this Thunder team and how high they can climb, where can they get to with the seeding games available and where they are in the standings? I think they they still have a good chance of moving up. You know, as we talked about before, that they're basically a game from the four. And I don't know how much of this matters as much as it did prior to because basically these guys are going to be playing neutral court for the rest of the way out. But the schedule is a pretty good balance. Uh, they only have one back-to-back, and that's against Washington, Phoenix, and a back-to-back. Their fate might already be determined by the time they get to that that second week. The challenge for the Thunder, I think, is balancing – where they want to be in terms of how they're playing, because that's always the most important thing to them. They always talk about, Billy Donovan does, it's not so much about wins and losses, and obviously wins matter, but it's how they're playing. When the stoppage happened, they were playing really well, and they went to Boston, and they pulled out a crazy game in Boston, but they were playing with a chemistry and a kind of a kind of force that you hadn't seen from them in, in recent seasons. But the big thing for them, I think, is to be to be playing well and then also to avoid the seven. And they're they're pretty close to the seven, too. I mean, Dallas has got a chance to jump up. I think Dallas is maybe like a game and a half behind them. So stay out of the seven and be playing pretty well and make sure that your guys aren't getting injured in the meantime. And I think that's all you can ask for going into uh, coming out of those first eight games. If there's a, a Mr. Incredible on this roster, somebody that would be the X factor or game changer for this Thunder team. Who is it? I think it's Danilo Gallinari. Um, I wrote about him last week and just how the offense changes when he's on the floor. He opens up everything for everybody else. We, we know about how the Thunder struggle to find these pure shooters over, over the years. Um, you know, some of that is hubris and thinking that they can take a guy who has all these tools except the, 
the shooting skill and turn him into a shooter. So it was just bad luck. But this time they land on Gallinari, and this guy has just made their offense incredible. The offensive numbers with him on the floor, he makes it – he opens up the floor for everybody out there. He's taking eight threes a game, making 40%. When he's out there and he's cranking and they can get – you know, they can get him eight to ten threes a game, uh, he makes Dennis Schroeder's life easier. Shea goes Alexander, Chris Paul opens up the lane for them. And when you've got Gallinari – on either side of the floor with Chris Paul running pick and roll with Steven Adams setting screens, defenses have a hard time figuring out if they got to shade over and help or if they got to stay home on Gallinari. And if they stay home on Gallinari, Chris Paul is going to eat them alive in the mid-range. So he just changes the entire geometry of the floor, man. So I think he's one of the most important players going into the bubble. What's the beauty matchup in terms of the best scenario for them in terms of individual matchup in that playoffs? I think it's got to be the Jazz, and part of it is because you just look at what the Jazz is going through or what they've been through in the past four months, and I think that they're one of the teams that could really kind of get exposed a little bit. You know, they lose a guy in Bogdanovich that's similar to Gallinari in the sense that he spaces so well for them. And now the Jazz have a bunch of great three-point shooters. I think they were like the top three-point percentage team in the league along with um, I think Miami was up there too. But you got the Jazz coming off of Bogdanovich being down. Now they've got to, you know, shift their lineups around. They're not as deep as they're going to be. And Bogdanovich is a pretty good defender, too. He's not terrible. But then you've also got to think about, you know, how's it going to work with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert coming back? They kind of had their little chemistry after the coronavirus struck and Rudy tested positive. So I think the Jazz are a little right for people to kind of attack the, the next team, I would say, is probably Denver. The Thunder played Denver better than they have in the in the previous couple of seasons. Denver's kind of gotten to a point to where they're not scared of the Thunder anymore. But the Thunder plays smarter games at the end of games than they did when they had Russell Westbrook. And a big part of that is Chris Paul. Denver kind of had their number at the end of games in the last couple of years. And now the Thunder closes out better against them. Denver doesn't have that one guy. Maybe it would be Jamal Murray, but they don't have that one perimeter guy that really scares the Thunder in terms of size and speed, like the Clippers would or the Rockets. So I think that they just match up pretty well with uh, with the Nuggets too. Who's the beast matchup for the Thunder in a, in a playoff series? Either of the L.A. teams would not be good. Uh, <laughs> and look, you could, you could probably say that for like every team in the West when it comes to the L.A. teams, but – they're not going to end up playing the Lakers because they're they're pretty far removed from the eight. Thank goodness, because LeBron and AD would destroy them. But the Clippers are just – that's just bad, man. You can't have a fresh Kawhi, a fresh Paul George, Lou Williams and Harrell and pick and roll. That's kind of a three-perimeter guard kind of combo player lineup that would go up against the Thunder's three. And they just have a size advantage over them that the Thunder just can't defend. Those guys just rise up and just shoot over those guys. I don't think the Houston series would go well either because I think Russ would be on a mission. Right. I think that Harden would score 40, 40 to 45 <laughs> a game on <laughs> because you'd be throwing all these young defenders at Harden that would just be following them left and right. Like, I love Lou Dort. I love what he brings. And he's going to be really valuable to them. But James Harden would have him in foul trouble and 
five to eight minutes, man. It wouldn't take very long. If we get a genie in a bottle and he grants three wishes for the Thunder heading to Orlando, what would they be? You know, some of these other peripheral guys to make some three-point shots. Lou Dort being able to make wide-open threes is going to be so big for them because he's going to get that shot on the backside. They're going to let him shoot that all day. I think another one would be to kind of see Shea Gildas-Alexander take another step. Regardless of what happens to the Thunder in this playoffs, whether they win a first-round series or not, they've got to see things that help them going forward. They know Chris Paul is a great player. They know Danilo Gallinari is a great shooter. To see Shea Gilgis-Alexander elevate his game again in a playoff setting, uh, I think would be really encouraging for them and, and their fan base. And then another one is they're going to make it out of this without anybody getting any significant injuries. They've got Steven Adams and Schroeder going into the last years of their contracts and guys that could potentially either get extensions or guys that could be traded. Chris Paul, same thing, 35 years old, couple years left on his contract. His value is never going to be higher than it is probably right now. But if he gets hurt, as we've seen Chris Paul do, uh, that's a situation where that's going to be really damaging to his trade value. And then Gallinari is a guy who's entering free agency. So he's got to stay healthy too in order to get the money that he wants. Who's most likely to bring their golf clubs to Disney? Chris Paul's the golfer. He's he's the big golfer on the team. You got a lot of other younger guys on the team who I don't know if they've gotten into their golf game yet. I don't know if they've gotten into the golf course politics, the golf course kind of <laughs> kind of mingling. Chris Paul is the guy that uh, definitely would be on the golf course more than anybody because, you know, LeBron's going to be there. Maybe those guys have some days off. Uh, Mello will be out there. Maybe those guys get together and have a have a banana boat uh, uh, golf party. <laughs> That's excellent. All right. Now, who's most likely to show up to the Players' Lounge and win a ping-pong tournament from the time? I got a sneaky suspicion that, like, Dennis Schroeder's good at ping-pong because, like, I don't know this is a fact, but he's, like, fast. He's he's pretty He's pretty quick on his feet. Uh, he's got a soccer background. I think his hand-eye coordination's good. And it just seems like Dennis Schroeder would be a guy who would be super competitive at some ping pong. Uh, and he's not like one of those tall lumbering guys. So I think Schroeder could probably like cover some ground, uh, put some like wicked spin on some stuff. What would it take for the Thunder to go home with the Larry O'Brien trophy from Orlando? And Shea Gilchrist Alexander, I think, has to become the guy. And not even the guy that's like taking the last shot, but I think he'd have to be your best all-around player because he can do so much. And I think he can give you some aspects on either side of the ball that Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder can't. Lou Dort's going to have to stay out of foul trouble because he is more of a physical guard that can body up some of these LeBron types, um, Donovan Mitchell. That's the one thing that the Thunder is kind of missing is they don't really have that physical wing defender, if they had that guy like an Andre Robertson, if they had him that you don't have to worry about his foul situation, I think that would be a big boon for them too. So if they were to win a championship, you'd have to get 10 minutes out of him. You'd have to get Lou Dort staying out of foul trouble. You'd have to get Shane Gillis Alexander playing at another level. And you would have to get guys making open three-point shots that aren't just Danilo Gallinari. 
the Thunder, for all of their accuracy in the mid-range and being able to shoot well at the rim, they don't hit enough three-pointers. They hit two or three more a game. That can kind of help them in their offense take it to another level. The Oklahoma City Thunder, one of 22 teams headed for the restart in Orlando, July 30th. Eric Horner, The Athletic, helping us break it down here on the Hang Time Podcast. Always appreciate your insight, sir. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Seku. Appreciate it, man.